Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? Hey everyone, today we are talking about sensory integration. So what is that? It's basically just integrating all of your senses and doing that both reactively and preventatively to neutralize and balance the body. So it really is one of the best forms of therapy that calms kiddos. And it also can be used preventatively to lower the chance of a breakdown or a meltdown or whatever you're dealing with helps to kind of reset the nervous system. So in addition to that, there's all this research behind this and how it, the inclusion of it repairs damaged neurons from stress or trauma. That is a lot of us in the world dealing with stress and or trauma. And often, as I said before, and in the past that chronic stress, stress over long periods of time can be like a traumatic experience or traumatic exposure. So what does sensory integration look like now that we know what it is? It's just things that you can feel, you can touch, you can hear, you can see. So so music is a form of sensory integration. Uh, Eating foods with different textures is a form of sensory integration. Different temperatures. Sometimes when I have like a sore body part or like my, my, my spine, my back often like swells and gets swollen. So (laughs) Fun fact, Uh, but I will often exchange and interchange uh, ice or something cold and also something warm. Well, I don't have a heat pad and so you can just put rice or beans in a, like a sock, warm it up in the microwave and that turns into some sense of a heating pad. That's some level of sensory integration. Your body's adjusting uh, to the different senses that are being exposed to something, but Before we talk about some examples for kids, let's talk about some ground rules. (laughs) The biggest thing with sensory integration, especially if a child already has a very active sensory system, some things can really set kids off or bother them. So for those kiddos who struggle with not wanting to touch certain textures, not liking their tags on their shirts, socks, not feeling a certain way, wanting some things inside out, that tells me there's some type of sensory integration need. So we might need to integrate some sensory or remove sensory. The biggest thing is not to force the child to do the activity, whatever it is. That just seemed like a no brainer, but um, kids are motivated if they're having fun and that will get them to participate. So we're trying not to (laughs) overwhelm them or kind of push their unique sensory system. 
That said, we do want to give them the slightest little push outside of their comfort zone uh, because there's just much to be learned from that. Also, we are trying to inspire but not overwhelm them. So micro doses of sensory integration. If a child is has too much sensory overload input, integrating them with a lot more sensory is just probably going to put their system in the opposite spectrum, the stressed out spectrum, the anxious spectrum. So little tiny doses. Also, sensory activities may change from time to time. Kids may like things at one point and not like it later, or uh, not like it at one point and like it later, <laughs> vice versa. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so don't stress, just go with the flow and respond to their reactions and their body's messages. Also, really just pay attention to that. Pay, pay attention to their bodies. Pay attention to their messages. Pay attention to their words because they might be saying something or their body might be showing something that means that they don't like it. So what are some examples of sensory integration? Jumping is certainly one. And think about all the different ways there are to jump. You could jump on a bed. You could jump from couch to couch. You could jump on a trampoline. You could just do jumping jacks, jump in a pool, all kinds of ways to jump. Uh, you could even collect pillows at home and, and make like a, an obstacle course or a straight line or something or jump through like in different cones or hoops or something. Lots and lots and lots of different jumping and bouncing ideas, even if it's as simple as bouncing on an exercise ball. Another is target practice. So set up a target for kids to kind of throw stuff at or maybe kick stuff at. Like it, maybe it's a ball and you're kicking it to a certain target on the ground. I kind of think of it like, uh, I think this is actually a thing, but think of it like golf, but for a ball, a kicking ball. So instead of hitting a ball into the, the hole, you create some type of hole or basket or target for the ball to be kicked into. But you could also do throwing ones as well. Um, it can even be throwing mud at a target, obviously outside, but that's good too. And you could even set up a target and squirt water at the targets. So that hand-eye coordination is, is good for sensory. Dumpster diving. This is not actually what it sounds like it might be. We are not putting kids in dumpsters. We are instead putting their favorite toy or a toy or something that they are diving for in the bottom of like a bin filled with toys or a bin filled with items or sensory items. So they are going to dig down through that big bin full of things to find the thing uh, that they want or that you hid, whatever it is. But the, the feeling, the weight, the pushing, the pulling, all of those different things to, to get to the bottom is where that sensory integration comes in. This one might surprise you a bit, but Legos are also a form of sensory integration. Their hands are getting strengthening. It's improving their motor skills or fine motor skills. Um, and it's just, they're fun. They're fun to use. I, I would even put magnetic tiles in that. So you've got the colors, you've got the textures, you've got the connections of pulling apart. All of those things are really great for sensory orientation. You could also do buried treasure. So buried treasure could be like kind of like dumpster diving, but instead of like in a bin full of things, you, you would probably put it in like a sand bin or a rice bin, or you can even hide it in Play-Doh where the kids go fishing them out uh, and, and uh, get them from deep inside of whatever they are in. Uh, a little bit more, that would be like a softer sensory versus you know finding something in a bin. You have toys maybe unless you're using stuffed animals or whatever you may be using, but uh, 
this one has softer things and things that can be like spread out and moved. Play-Doh can be kind of moved and separated more easily than maybe a bunch of toys in a bin. One that I love, and I didn't realize that this was my body seeking sensory input as a child, swinging. So setting up a swing, um, tire swing. There are even these really cool sensory swings that are like almost like cocoons. It's like a mashup between like a swing and a hammock. Hammocks are a great one as well. Uh, there are different swing options, uh, swing sets. Um, even you can kind of simulate a swing motion by rocking on the floor, teaching kids how to rock on the floor. And think about that way. Some babies really like to jump in those bouncy seats. Uh, their bodies are regulating to that bounce or to that jump. It's a very rhythmic bouncy jump or at least they, their bodies are, their brains are trying to get to a rhythmic jump and then just playing with textures. So all those tactile senses, you could need dough, play with goop, bananas, marshmallows. Like it, it doesn't just stop at things or toys. You can do foods as well. Um, there's lots of outdoor activities, sticks and moss and hiking and all of those things. Hiking is a wonderful activity to reset the nervous system. So I would say, get creative with this and really think about what, what sensory activities do you have at home? What, what toys do you have? What things can you use for sensory integration? What are, what's available outside? What's free? What's around your community? Uh, there's also even, even books right now that have sensory components to them. You can feel things, touch things, manipulate things. So get creative in how you integrate this, but know that this can be a great use for calming coping when kids are upset, or you can integrate it as part of your day, like with an already embedded routine, breakfast, dressing, uh, bedtime, whatever it may be to preventatively uh, work on resetting the nervous system. Lots and lots and lots of options today with that. So today's listener question is what strategies can we use to deescalate a child? Oh, Numerous. I always tell families this analogy of when I'm working with families or schools that I am like the hardware store. I'm going to teach you all these different common coping mechanisms, de-escalation techniques. It is like all the different things in the hardware store. And then what you do is you start to create a toolbox and your toolbox has all the things that you feel like work for you or your family or your kids or your classroom. And you put those things in your toolbox and that's what you pull out and use when you need it. That's what kids pull out and use when they need it. So unlimited ideas here. There are hundreds of common coping techniques. In fact, if you search or Pinterest or Google common coping techniques, you're going to see blog posts and all kinds of things that people wrote about these. The biggest thing I would say is, is it's somewhat age dependent. So how I present something to a three-year-old versus a 13-year-old is very different. It might be the same technique, but I'm going to explain it much differently. I'm going to give it a different name. Some things will work for three-year-olds that will not work for teens. So just being mindful of like, what, what can you use to deescalate a child? First think about what's appropriate for their age. Also think about what motivates them. It's a tough one, especially, oh man, 11, nine through 11 year olds. I struggle with them more than teens. What is it that motivates them? Is it humor? Is it technology? Is it movement? You know, what, what is it? And then try and integrate that as both a preventative and a reactive calming technique. And there's a little bit of trial and error here too. So some things you'll try, they won't work. You try something else. 
And that's why I like the analogy of the tool store and the toolboxes because, well, some things might work sometimes and then later they won't work. So you'll need a different tool. And sometimes you'll need to go to the tool store and get more, more tools. So just always kind of ebbing and flowing with what, <clears throat> excuse me, is going on. What are some examples? Oh, I think the best one, the easiest one, <laughs> the most accessible one is just breathing. Big, huge, deep, slow breaths are calming and, and great to use for de-escalating. So, you know, based on research, we know it takes like two to three minutes for an adult system to use breathing to regulate their for kids, uh, maybe longer, maybe shorter, but as close as we can get to like two minutes, think of like two minutes of mindfulness, two minutes of breathing, two minutes of slowing down. Any of those things will help to reset the system. Drinking a drink of water, crunchy, chewy snack, sensory integration, movement, pushing, pulling, lifting, carrying, any of those things will reset the system. You can also add humor, uh, make something fun and lighthearted, jokes, all of those things will help to regulate. You've got progressive muscle relaxation. I've done podcasts and blog posts on this topic before. Um, again, it's just getting creative. What do you think will work for this child? What, what seems like it will calm them down? Uh, you can do a quick search of the polyvagal theory or mind body techniques, because there are tons of them in there. Uh, talking about acupressure and Tai Chi and Qigong and yoga and meditation and mindfulness, and all these things that help to reset our systems. So I would say, if you really want an answer to this one, just go back and listen to all our podcast episodes. <laughs> all right. To wrap up the show, we're going to, I am going to share with you the try to home tip, which is the brain dump. So what on earth is the brain dump? This is something I like to do periodically, even better if you can do it every day. I have a couple of different like journaling meditation practices that I rotate through. So I don't do this every day, but helpful if you do. Kids can do this too. It can look a little bit different for them, but for adults, it's getting a piece of paper and writing down everything that comes to mind. So you can do a brain dump in the morning, first thing when you get up and dump everything out that you've been holding in there overnight. You can do it before you go to bed, before you go to sleep. You can do it at lunchtime just to take a break from the day. But this is not a journal. It's not you're not worried about what you write and how you write it and grammar and punctuation order and topic. It's literally just dumping everything out of your brain on a piece of paper. And it's best you do it on a piece of paper and not on a, a phone or a computer because it's a physical act of writing and releasing those things. And some may be stressful and some may be not, uh, but, but getting them out of your head and getting them on a paper helps you to release them. And then what you can do is you can like metaphor, metaphorically release them uh, because you can take that paper and you can tear it up or you can recycle it or you can burn it or whatever it may be. But that shows that like those thoughts are gone. They are done. You don't have to hold on to them anymore. For kids, it could be the same thing. If they can't write them, they could draw them. If they can't draw them, they could speak them. And you can make this like hypothetical, like hot air balloon. And you send the balloon off into the, the sky and the, the balloon carries their thoughts. Another one that I'll do, and this is very similar, but I'll use something called a worry monster. It's an actual brand, <laughs> Worry Monster. Stuffed animal has a zipper mouth. You put your worries inside of the monster and you zip it shut. And the Worry Monster holds the worries for the child so they don't have to feel like they're worried or anxious or any of those things. So it can be a physical object too that you release things onto. But best if you can write it down. 
All right, that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our tried at home tip, which is the brain dump. And if you would like me to answer one of your questions on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com or send a text to 717-693-7744 and lock in what you learned by applying it right away. Easy way to do this, just leave a comment or a review below with your biggest takeaway. And don't forget to subscribe to future episodes to learn more ways to hack your brain. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer and thanks for joining me.